Give it up for our youth one more time. Always thankful for the leadership of Jordan Washington, the dance teacher. I taught him some of those moves. Some of those moves are no longer flexible enough to do. Um, but a lot of that things came from me, especially with my cousin. A couple of those girls, you know, have been in youth ministry since I was a youth pastor. So it's always cool to see me get older and them get younger. So it's, it's youth month. It's children's month. It's verses month. It's, it's, it's the in-between between God's word and verses what we want to do. And I'm excited to dive into this passage with you because I know that many times when you say it's Youth and Children's Month, we have a tendency to zone out and we're like, well, this is not for me. And my prayer is that's not the method you go into. That's not the heart that you have because we've all been here. We've all had an opportunity to go versus God's word. And sometimes we have allowed our flesh to win that battle. So today I pray for you as you have walked into the versus battle, Genuine versus Bobby Brown, when you walked in, you recognize who's God. And I pray that you, as we leave this place, you will still know who's God and who's his word and what, his, what we should be doing rather than what we're going to learn Peter was doing. So I pray for your hearts today. I pray that we are all ready to receive God's word today. And without further ado, let's start off in a word of prayer and let's get straight into the message. Because I want us to have not only time, but I want us to be able to f- hopefully open our hearts to the possibility of God's conviction. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you. Look, I, I know there's plenty of distractions that could go forth. I'm pretty sure that we have other things that we think could be important at this time. But I, my prayer is that nothing else gets in the way of you speaking to your people. That it has nothing to do with me. It, that your word is powerful all by itself. That I already recognize that I am just a humble vessel that is, has the privilege of being used. So God, I ask and I pray that you will move me out the way so all your people can see as you. That your word will now go versus their own sometimes contradictions to what you desire from them. That you will be speaking to them directly. That they will fear you tugging, they will feel you tugging on their hearts and mind as well. That I won't preach from a Pierre Canning's motive. That every word that proceeds out of my mouth will give you glory. Every meditation of my heart is for your glory. God, I thank you because you have given us this opportunity to focus solely on what you want us to hear. So, God, again, I always say hearts because we can have our minds tuned into this message, but our hearts so far away from you. So I pray that our hearts are tuned into you, that this cord of what you want will strike at our very hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to say a couple things, and I need your feedback, Second Service. I know Second Service has a tendency to be more introspective. I call it the introverted service. I understand that y'all are quieter. We have a lot of extroverts at 8 o'clock. But even though y'all are introverted service, I need your participation. When you were young, raising children has changed a little bit. When we were young, you weren't allowed to talk at the table. And let me explain. If mama and daddy had company over, and then the company was sitting there, your job was to do what? Eat your food, be quiet, and know your place. You couldn't participate in the conversation. Now, I know kids are different these days. They think they adults and they be trying to get into the conversation. We weren't allowed that privilege. What we were supposed to do was eat that food, clear that table off, make sure your crumbs were gone, and then what you did, you went to that, put that dish in that sink. Sometimes you would wash every dish and then you would go where? To your room. Now, when you went to your room, were you allowed to come out your room? Nah, you were supposed to stay in your place. You were supposed to stay where you belong, not amongst the adults. But if you did choose to come out and dare your life, 
what were you supposed to say? Excuse me. And then after you said excuse me, what were you supposed to do? Wait. You, you, you couldn't even say, excuse me, mom, can I play this video? Nah, you had to say, excuse me. And then she would wait. You had to wait for them to acknowledge you. And then they would turn and say, yes, son. And you had to ask, act more polite than you've ever acted in your life. At this present time, I was wondering if I could participate in some gaming that will have place on a console. And all of a sudden, and then your mom be acting fake too. That is pleasantly well. Boy, stop. Chill. That's not how you talk. Let's call this out now, mama. Y'all some good actors. I'm, I'm saying mamas because my mama, she was the best switcher known to mankind. That's back when house phones were like house phones. And your mom be like, she'd be like, and she letting you have it. Then she pick up the phone. Hello? No call ID back then. So I, I'm saying this in all honesty. I recognize there is some um, fallacy to what I'm saying, but you would wait there at the table. And if they were engaged in conversation, you best not even say excuse me at that point. You had to wait till there was a gap. Then you said excuse me. Then you waited again because you knew your place. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are talking, you better know your place. Your, your best decision when the Word of God is being spoken, when you have a chance to come and hear the Word of God, when you open the Word of God and He starts to speak to you, it's best to know your place. It's best to clean off the crumbs of your life, sit there and say, excuse me, God, I'll talk when you're ready to talk to me. I, I appreciate that you're leaving, letting me sit at the table in the first place. Thank you for letting me have this food that you so graciously gave, but I also know my place. I'm not going to butt in when it ain't my spot. Sadly, Christians have a tendency to butt in when it ain't your spot. We have a tendency to talk to God when it ain't our time. We have a tendency to come out our room when it's not our spot to do so. And some of us don't even learn to say, excuse me. When God talks, it's best to say quiet. And then when it's, you think it's your turn, then you start saying, hey, God, excuse me, can I have a word? But we're going to learn about a character in the Bible that didn't learn to say, excuse me. We're going to learn about a character in the Bible that said, hey, I'm going to talk when I feel like talking. We're going to learn about a character in the Bible that thought he had the audacity to challenge Jesus. Now you're like, well, Pierre, who would challenge Jesus? But I'm going to hopefully your hearts are soft enough to hear this, that everyone in this room, including adults all the way to children, have tried our best to challenge Jesus, and maybe not with your words, but with your actions. So I hope that you will turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, verse 21. And while you're turning to Matthew 16, verse 21, before I dog my boy Peter, who I was named after, let me first give this to you quickly. He just got the best news of his life. In Matthew 16, 21, but I want to start in verse 17, and don't, don't get bored. I'm just going to give you the context of where Peter is now receiving the second message. Because the first message he received just fine. There was no rebuttal at the first message. In Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus comes up and declares him the rock of the church. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, the mysteries of God. Now watch. I also say to you that you are the Peter upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That's a good message. Now, if you notice at this time, Peter hasn't said, said anything. I want to make sure this is very clear before we dive into the next part of this message because they come directly after each other. Because Jesus delivers a message for warning Peter of what God will allow him to have responsibility with, and it sounds great. I guess my point is, when the message sounds great, many of us will not rebuttal it. 
When God says to you, you will have a husband, you will not rebuttal it. When God says to you, you have a nice girlfriend, you will not rebuttal it. When God says to you, your marriage is perfect and you have no storm in your life, you're like, this message is perfect. But when the message contradicts you, I want to know if you're Peter. Because we've all been Peter that starts in verse 21. Because now I'm fixing to give you that Jesus continues his instruction. This time, not so favorable. This time is not what Peter wanted to hear. Peter had a different intention in mind, and I want you to get there because he starts to give him the truth. It is time for that truth, Peter. Not just the truth you wanted, but the truth you may not want to experience. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. I know that doesn't sound important, but it is because just in that very small sentence, he told them who, when, where, how. He's going to even give them what's going to happen when they get there. He's giving them details. So before I even dive into the details, before you get bored with the context, at least let me say this. Some of us get bored with details that Jesus is trying to help you with. Some of us don't like the fact that he's giving you details because it seems like it's too much. You know, we as preachers have learned is that as we preach messages, we have to go deep. We only could go deep for so long because people love to hear the blessings. They don't love to hear the, the suffering. They don't want to hear the details of what Jesus wants for your life. They don't want to hear that sometimes singleness is your blessing. They don't want to hear that sometimes you will suffer for the Jesus' namesake. They don't want to hear that sometimes you will go to work and have some details in your life that don't match. They don't want to hear that love your enemy, forgive your father, forgive the people that hurt you the most. They don't want those messages. They want the ones that talk about blessing you with cars, blessing you here and go, blessing this and that and the other. But watch this message. He's going to change and flip the gears, and I want to know if you'll flip it with me. Because right here he says, from that time, oh, this is beautiful, because he's fixing to leave from one to another. That means he's saying, hey, I'm six months away from dying. Here's your prep work. Because timing matters to Jesus. He didn't give it to him too early. They had to confess that he was Jesus, the Messiah, first. Then I give you the message you need. Here's the beauty of them thing. I want you to understand this before I even begin you. Timing. Jesus gives us messages in timing. He knows who you are. He knows when you can receive it, and he also knows when it's necessary to give it. So he says, from that time, meaning I have a special time, I want to give you the right message. But if you think your timing is right, if you think you're supposed to have your timing to what you want, you'll miss the message. Because Jesus has a reason to why he's giving you a message, even if you think his message is delayed. So some of us have said, you know what, God, I'm tired of waiting on you. I'm going to deliver my own message to myself. I'm going to preach to myself. I'm going to listen to some preacher that tells me what I want to hear. I don't want to hear what you have. I'm tired of waiting on you to fix this situation. I'm tired of you waiting on to fix my marriage. I'm tired of you waiting to fix my school. I'm tired of this teacher. I'm tired of everybody. So I'm going to have my own message. And God's like, I have a reason for my timing because I'm six months away of this training ground. You need every ounce of this message. Some of us have been missing the message because we don't like the timing. Second, he says, from that time. So he's six months away. That's important. But not only did he tell them what the timing was, then he goes a little deeper and he says this. Jesus began to show his disciples. What does the word show mean? Show means I'm going to make it vividly clear. I'm going to give you details of what you need. Here's the, here's the kicker. It's sometimes we always say Jesus is confusing. We always say the word of God confuses us. But let's honestly be clear. 
The Word of God is clear all by itself. And then he gave you the Holy Spirit to help you interpret the Word of God. I know there's some complicated passages. But what I also know is that when you were young and they put them, them letters that turned into numbers called algebra, and your behind had to pass that class so you didn't have to go to summer school, you studied your behind off so you didn't fail that class so you didn't go to summer school, didn't you? Because you wanted it to be clear. How many of us desperately want God's message to be clear? Because it's not that he ain't showing you. It's just that some of us ain't studying it. When you had to turn in that algebra, that calculus assignment, even though you knew you didn't know what you were doing, you went back to the book and you kept studying. How come some of us don't go back to the book so we can hear God's word? How many of us, when we're single, we're trying to say, I need to go back. I need to figure out how I can be a better single. When I'm married, how, do I, how can I be a better husband, a better wife? Some of us have gotten so old in our Bible skills. Some of us have said, hey, I've done this long enough. I've been to church long enough. I know what he says, but you haven't understood the details. My prayer is that you sit at your floor on your knees saying, God, make it vividly clear what message and what timing you want this message to come forward. Because not only did the timing matter, where mattered as well. Oh, this is good because he says this. He says, he says from that time he began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem. If you didn't know this beforehand, he was in Galilee. I know this is a lot. I'm going fast because I recognize everybody wants the meat of the message. And I'll get there. But he's, he was in Galilee. In Galilee, everybody loved Jesus. I want you to get this because it's important. Even Peter, who's from Galilee, loved and received Jesus. It wasn't hard for Peter to receive Jesus. They were awaiting the Messiah. But him going to Jerusalem mattered for this message. Why? Because that's where he's going to die. Let God warn you about where you're going, please. Because if he's warning you about where you're going, then the prep matters because where you're going might need his word. So if you're single, but you keep praying to get married, but you don't take the prep time because you don't know where you're going, he's trying to lead you there in your singleness. So therefore, while you're single, take the warnings, because when you get married, you have received every instruction to where you're going. But if you miss where you're going, you'll think you're going to stay in the same place the whole time. God is never stagnant, ladies and gentlemen. Hear me. He always wants to move your life to another level. He doesn't want you to stay the same. This is not a complacency game. But if he wants to move you, then he has to prep you. But if you ain't ready for your prep, you'll never move. So some of us ain't ready for Jerusalem because we too much enjoy Galilee. We love when everybody loves us. We love when everything's going the way we want. So nobody wants to go to Jerusalem. Everybody's like, no, nah, we can chill here in Galilee. All my friends like you. I like you. Let's stay here. And he's like, you're missing the point. In order for me to do God's purpose, I got to move you. So sometimes in your life, guess what God has to do? He has to move you from Galilee to Jerusalem. But if you're saying, I like Galilee better, some of us haven't moved yet. There's been relationships y'all were supposed to break up a long time ago, but you love your Galilee better. There's been some things in your life you're supposed to fix a long time ago. There's some attitude adjustments you're supposed to make a long time ago. There's some anger outbursts you were supposed to fix a long time ago. But you're saying, God, this is just me. And God is like, no, 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 we need to go to Jerusalem then. Where? matters. And then he tells you who. Oh, I'm sorry. I know. He says, there's going to be some people when I get there that going to hurt me. There's going to be some chief priests. There's going to be some Sadducees. There's going to be some scribes. They going to hurt me. This whole Sanhedrin is going to be against us. Hear me. You missed your enemies that you walked into because you weren't paying attention to the message in the first place. You dated the wrong person because you weren't paying attention to the first place. 
You went to school and acted the same way, didn't know your enemies because God was trying to tell you who your enemies were in the first place. He not only tried to tell you where you were going, he also told you who you're going to encounter. Stop asking the world to accept who you are. If they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us. But we have Christians too willingly willing to give up of God's word so we can fit in. And I'm like, wait, you missed the message. They weren't supposed to fit in in the first place. You're supposed to stick out. You're supposed to be a sore thumb. You're supposed to have a Band-Aid on you so people can notice you. That's my point is that they missed the message. And you think about it. How many times did Jesus have to warn them about Pharisees, Sadducees, and chief priests? How many times in the gospel message did he say, be careful with the leaven and the loaf? He kept warning them because they kept missing it. So I'm asking you a simple question. is how many of you are missing what you're supposed to be looking out for? How many warning signs does he have to give you before we catch on? How many bad relationships do we got to get out of before we catch on? How many bad bosses do we have to realize that God's trying to fix you first? How many times do you walk into and say, God, when are you going to fix this employee? And God's like, I'm not fixing the employee. I'm waiting to fix you. I've been told you that these post people are going to be around. I've been told you that they're supposed to be here. They belong in Jerusalem. I wanted them to be here to achieve my purpose for you. But if you don't want them to be here, stay in Galilee, please. Because I already knew I was putting them in your way. I already knew I was sending them your way. I already knew they were supposed to be here because in order for they need to be here for me to help you. So guess what? The people that you hate are supposed to be there. They belong in Jerusalem. The people that you think God needs to move them out your life, God wants them there. So he can achieve God's purpose for your life and ours. But let me move on. Because then he says, this is what I'm going to do. He tells you the what next. He says, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise up in three days. Or God's going to raise me up in three days. Get that. They're going to make me suffer. But what was he really warning them? I'm going to suffer, you're going to suffer. And you're going to be like, Pierre, what is the relevance of all this context you're giving me? Just wait until the end. Because I want you to get the warning shot, but before I give you the suffering, let's also talk about what he's going to do. Because what he's going to do in Jerusalem, you would think Peter, calling him Lord in a second, would understand that this was a necessary thing. But no, we'll talk about Peter not getting that in a second. But let's also talk about the fact that Jesus was going to do something that benefited everybody in this room. He was going to suffer, he was going to die, and then God was going to raise him from the grave. Every word matters. So when you read your Bible, please read every word. Don't skim over the word because every word could change your life. Just in that passage alone, just not even for time's sake, we just spent 15 minutes in one verse. You know why? Because every word mattered. But then you get to see Peter's response, right? Because Peter couldn't handle that truth. So right there in verse 22, what does Peter do? You think, oh, I would never do this, Pierre. You tripping. I would never do this. But watch what he does. He says this, Peter took him. Now, I want you to get this understanding. Now, look, I got three kids, but I also have a beautiful wife. And on Thursday, we're going to get to celebrate our 15-year anniversary. Yeah. But uh, and that, that was for the claps because I'm, I'm excited. But every year doesn't feel like a year to us because I really have enjoyed our marriage. It just feels like a small time. But now I feel old just saying 15 in public. But that's not the point. 15 years. So, of course, you got to do something for your 15 years. You can't just be at the house. So, with no money, I try to use some of the miles I had, and we booked the flight. Booked the flight. Then you got to find a hotel. 
But while I was finding a hotel, I'm going over Expedia because Expedia got them deals sometimes. Not a push, just saying, I can't buy from regular websites. I'm broke. I don't go to the hotel's websites, y'all. I don't have no rewards program. So I get on the hotel, and I start looking at these places, and they look beautiful. I mean, I look at the price first, and then I look, make sure it look beautiful. But then my, I, told, I showed my son, because my son really loves when I plan dates for his mom, and he was like, yo, dad, that's, 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 that's beautiful. Then my daughter walks in behind, and she's, she also likes beautiful places. She want to explore the whole world. And she comes to me, and she's like, daddy, you're, that's beautiful. Dad, you taking mommy, not us? It's our 15-year anniversary. Y'all are the result of these anniversaries. Now, <laughs> it's our place to go. It's not your place to continue to go. I, I, I'm going to take you to Tennessee, sons, and then I'm going to take my daughter to, t- to New York when I preach in New York at a campsite. I'm going to take your places, but this ain't your place. Jesus is looking at you while you're sitting there saying, oh, Jesus, when are you going to take me here? It's like, you don't want me to take you here, but I'm taking you somewhere. You don't have to die yet, but I will. So even though you might be saying, God, you can't take me there, or you might be saying, God, I, look, I like this picture. I like when you called me the rock of the church. And God's looking at you like, just wait a second. I got a new message for you. But where I'm going, you better know your place. This ain't, this, this ain't for the weak. You don't want this hotel. You can't afford this hotel ever since. And secondly, I'm not taking you. You're going to kill the vibes. I know it's Youth and Children's Month. That's all I will say. But then Peter says, ah, because I don't understand, I'm going to take you. Watch this word, take him. Jesus, Peter took him. Now remember, he's walking and talking with all of the disciples. I didn't get to that point. He's walking and talking only with the disciples at this point. And then all of a sudden, he, Peter takes him away from the other disciples and starts to walk with him. Now, this is not important until you get to the second part. So I'll leave that point there. Just remember that Peter had the audacity to pull him to the side. Now remember, you got to have some audacity to pull Jesus off the side while he's teaching and then Peter just, he gets a little bolder. He, he forgets his place. He says something next that I would have, <laughs> He began to rebuke him. Now, that word rebuke means I, believe, I start to correct you according to truth. Think about this. That you, he, Peter thought that he could correct Jesus according to what truth? And you're like, well, Pierre, I would never do that. I go to Living Word Fellowship Church. We're a Bible-believing church. God is inspired. How many times have God said, I need you to act this way, walk this way, talk this way? And you were like, let me take you to the side real quick, Jesus. How many times has God said, hey, I need you to forgive those who have hurt you? And we're like, well, God, you don't understand the situation. Let me take you to the side real quick. How many times have you said, hey, God's like, hey, I know that the people at your school are smoking and drinking and doing all these things, but you're like, well, God, you don't understand. Smoking's fixing me legal in two years. Let me take you to the side real quick. God, you don't understand what I've been through, so I need a drink. I got, I got to go to the club. And God's like, you're, so you, what you're telling God is, I know what your truth says, but I got new truth for you. You don't know what I'm going through, so let me walk you to the side real quick and correct you according to my truth. 
When your husband's getting on your nerves, you're like, hey, God, let me, I know what I should do. I know you told me to honor him. And then when your wife gets on your nerves, I know you told me to love her. I know you told me to love her like a weaker vessel, but let me take you to the side. You don't even know my wife like that. So you can tell me all you want, but everybody's trying to rebuke the word. We're all guilty of doing what we want, even if we won't verbalize it with our lips. Peter was just more vocal than all of us. Then he not only rebukes them, but then he says something even dumber. He said, may God forbid. Now, you'd be like, what? Why is that even important? And it says this right here. It says what? Saying, God forbid it, Lord. Oh, this is a contradiction all in itself. So please stay with me. I know there's a lot of words I'm picking on. You know what may God forbid means? It means may God be gracious for it not to happen. And then he turns and calls him Lord. You know what Lord is? Messiah. So he's saying, hey, the person I'm proclaiming to be Lord of my life, the person I'm proclaiming to be Lord, I'm also telling him not to be Messiah. It's a contradiction all in itself. So he's saying, Lord, don't die. May God forbid you from dying. But look how ironic you have to be because Peter wouldn't be the rock of a church if Jesus didn't die for the church in the first place. So sometimes what we're asking for is the exact opposite of what we need. Even while we call Jesus Lord of our lives, we're asking for the exact opposite for him to be Lord. We don't want God to be Lord. We want him to be our servant. Oh, please pay attention. We may refer to him as Lord, but we really just want Santa Claus. So what you're saying is, may God be gracious for what I want not to happen, not to happen, so you can be the Lord I want you to be for me. So some of us are saying, I'll call you Lord as long as you do what I want. And God's like, that's not Lord. That's a contradiction. If you say I'm Lord of your life, that means you follow me. That means I tell you what to do. And then you do it. We're at the wrong table. You need to go to your room. But, but it, it gets worse, ladies and gentlemen. It didn't get better. This man kept talking. He said, may God forbid it. Not only did he rebuke it, he forbid it. And he says, this shall never happen to you. <laughs> I, I love Peter. Uh, obviously, you know, I was named after him, so I got to speak highly of him. But that, that's not the point. He says, in confidence, watch, watch what he says. I am assuring you, Jesus, Lord. This will not happen. Think about how arrogant you have to be to tell Jesus that it's not going to happen. But you know why sometimes we carry around a false sense of arrogance? It's because just a couple verses ago, he called him the rock of the church. So what is scary is that sometimes God's blessing becomes your arrogance. Hear this, please. Peter had the audacity to tell God what's not going to happen because he forgot his place because the very blessing that God put him in the right place now becomes the place in which he corrects his own Jesus Christ and Lord. So sometimes the very house that God blessed you with now becomes your house, not his. The car that you prayed for, that you now have a bill for, now becomes his car, not yours. So you drive it wherever you want, and you're confident taking it to the club when God's like, I gave you the car in the first place. You're mistaking your blessing, and you're making it a burden. Oh, 
how many of us have ever told Jesus what we're not going to do? And you don't have to tell me. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not even asking for an altar call right now. What I am going to say is that your actions speak louder than your words. So I'll stop and I'll say this. You may not have to say nothing, but how many of us do the opposite of what you heard on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? It's the same thing. You're telling God, I assure you it's not going to happen. I assure you when I walk in this house, he's going to get that same attitude I left the house with. I know what you told me to do. I know I'm supposed to be kind. I know I'm supposed to go into school and love this person. I know I'm supposed to love my enemies. I know I'm not supposed to cuss them out. I know all this. But as soon as that trigger happens, I'm going for it. I, God forbid, they're going to get this work. I'm lonely, God. You ain't sent that man yet, so this man's going to do. I'm lonely, God. You ain't sent that woman yet. This woman will do. She will satisfy. So basically what you're saying is, I assure you, I'm going to do what I want. I know, this is when the church usually gets quiet. Y'all sound like second service now. And you're like, well, Pierre, get to the point. And I am. I was grilling the other day, Friday. I had the board over for Acts 2 Houston. I saw an Acts 2 Houston shirt, big shout out. And we were grilling for the board, and there was a chimney. Now, the thing called a chimney is basically where you put your coals, put some paper on the bottom, light it up. I don't know what I'm doing. Bottom line is my brother-in-law told me to do it, so I do it. I can't cook. I listen to those who cook. So, boom, I light it up. It's hot. The coals turn white. It's my second batch. I throw the coals in there, and then I put the chimney on the grass. The grass was a little unlevel, so I see the chimney starting to tilt over. So what do I do? I reach down and try to grab the chimney before it falls in the dirt because who wants a dirty chimney? Well, when I reach over and grab the chimney, guess what happens to the finger? I burn the finger. I put a big old hole. I'm not talking, I'm talking about, this is probably the big, worst burn I've ever had. I put a big old hole in my finger. My flesh was left on the chimney because I touched what I wasn't supposed to because it was still hot. Peter reached down and he tried to touch Jesus because he put in his, put in his hand where it didn't belong. It was still hot. Jesus was trying to tell him a message that was hot. That the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have been cooking that thing up since the beginning of time, before time was even created. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God, the Trinity, were doing this message. It was a hot fire. Your job is not to put your hand on a hot fire. Your job is to let that chimney fall where it may. I guess I'm saying that some of us are putting our hand where it doesn't belong. Because watch what Jesus says to him next. I'm finna take your hand back. Is it okay if I take your hand back real quick? Because watch Jesus snatch Peter. You ever had to snatch your kids? Now, you know what I mean by snatch. Certain different demographics gently place hands. Some mamas snatch. I think, this is my personal opinion, I'm not a scientist, but I believe that certain people, kids, have very flexible shoulder joints. You know why I know that? Because the way some of these mamas be snatching them arms. You ever seen a mama snatch? She be like this. To take your whole arm. You, hey, I, see, certain people like, Billy, I told you. Don't touch that candy. I've already told you three, six times. I'll buy you it if you don't touch it for three seconds. Nah, not my mom. She don't even get the first warning out. She just snatched your arm off. 
You was gone. Is it? You, your whole arm, your shoulder was torn out of place. That's what she did because she snatched you. She had to put you in your proper place. You wasn't supposed to be at the candy place. You're supposed to be following the grocery cart. And you're supposed to do what? Y'all know the story. Put one hand on the what? Grocery cart. You go where the grocery cart go. And if your hand come off, she's going to snatch your arm and put it right back on that grocery cart. Peter finna get snatched. Peter finna get snatched quick. His arm going to go out of socket because Jesus, watch these words, turned. Oh, man. Whew. Remember I said Peter took? Now watch Jesus turn. So Peter took him intimately. Good conversation. Let's have it. There's two, there's two interpretations of the word turn. I'm going to give you both. One is that Jesus turned away from Peter and went back to talk to the disciples because this conversation isn't even worthy. The second one, which I believe is he turned to Peter. So the whole time Peter was talking that nonsense, he didn't even give him his face. And the moment he stopped talking, he said, now let me tell you this truth. Oh, see, sometimes you think you're talking to Jesus. Jesus doing this. All right, keep doing you. Keep doing you. That's fine. No, 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 do you. Don't you, don't you love that as parents when you used to say, when your parents would say that stuff like, oh, it's okay, do you. You, you knew right there. Stop. Something been happening. <laughs> when you jumping on the bed, remember this? All right. I told you stop jumping. And all of a sudden it's like, just wait. If they ever said just wait, you was in trouble. And as soon as you bump your head, what happens? They walk back in there, not even Christian. You crying. I mean, blood coming down your head. They don't even go check on your head. They just bend down gently like this. I've been told you. Not, you crying. You got blood. You got snot coming out your nose. You crying so hard. What did I say not to do? And then they make you talk back while your head blood. Like, what did I tell you not to do? <laughs> Jump on the bed. <laughs> and Jesus says, hey, I'm finna turn to you. But when I turn to you, what did I tell you? You didn't bump your head, Peter. Now we're going to fix it. The beauty of the message that he let Peter bump his head, I would have cut Peter off a long time ago. Oh, I would have been cut him off. Stop talking. Nah. But then when he does open his mouth, watch Jesus' word as we close this journey. He turned. Then he says, get behind me. Who? Who? So let's, let's first talk about get away. Get away means... Get, get, I mean, get behind me means get away from me. See, I want to get this right before I even move on. It's get out of my sight, get away. So picture Jesus now turn to Peter and say, get away from me. Some of us say, Peter, I feel so distant from God. It's because you steady talking and you haven't been listening and God's been warning and you haven't been obeying. And you've created a distance because Jesus is looking at you like, you best get away from me with that mess. That sin that we continue to do, you're creating separation from the God who loves you. you God is saying, hey, this sin is going to make us get away. The way you're talking is not the way I talk. When you cuss that person out, that's on you. You didn't bump your head. Now you feel the separation of bumping on the head because you decided to jump on the bed. That's on you. I'm just trying to get you to understand that sometimes your actions, when Jesus turns and says, get away, you're going to feel it. 
Because he doesn't say get away from me. He's also saying get back in your place. I let you take me there, though. I, I was willing to walk with you. That's what I love about Jesus. He was willing to walk with them and hear the foolishness. But that doesn't mean he's not going to correct your foolishness. So he corrects them. But then he uses the word Satan. Satan. Why Satan? That's a pretty rude term, right? Nobody here wants to be called get behind me, Satan. You know what he's saying? Y'all know earlier in the book, what does Satan try to do to Jesus? Take him away from God's purpose. He tried to tempt him. So when he turns to Peter, he's saying, you sound just like Satan trying to take me away from my purpose. And I have a purpose, so you're going to have to get back because I don't tolerate Satan. Nor will I tolerate you talking against the purposes of God. So sometimes what I guess I'm trying to get you to say is that some of us have had some very satanic, no, very opposite agenda type verbiage that is opposite of God's will for your life, your purpose in his life. So when you see it and you keep saying, God, I'm going to do me, I'm going to keep going this way, ah, God looks at you and says, well, you're going to get in your right place then. I allowed to walk with you. It was okay to talk with you. But when you keep doing what you're doing, you keep talking, God forbid, and all these other things, and you're giving me assurances from a man's interest, you're going to have to get behind me. We don't tolerate that here. So I guess what I'm saying is anytime you try to tell Jesus what is not his purpose, beware. Anytime you try to take God off his will, beware. The problem, the kicker, is that many of us don't like God's will for our life, so we're steady trying to fix it. Because what was his will? This is where the message gets theological. His will was to go die so that we can all receive God's grace. Remember I told you to hang on to some words? What word did I tell you to hang on to? Not only took, but then God be gracious. The ironic part of the statement is what? His will was God's grace. Because if he doesn't die for them, Peter doesn't receive God's grace from the cross and his resurrection. So sometimes what you're asking God's purpose to be is the opposite of what you need. We're asking for God to fulfill these, I don't know, temporary requests. Forgetting about the eternal reward. Now hear me on this one, because the next part of the message gets deeper. It says this. But Peter, he said, you are a stumbling block to me. Stumbling block, defined well. An action or circumstance that leads to an act contrary to the proper course of action. Start. That means you're coming to me talking about the opposite way of what the proper course of action is. You are now in my way. This is one thing I want Jesus never have to do to me. I never want him to have to step over me to get to his purpose in my life. Oh, please don't. You are in my way. So since you're in my way, you need to get back in your place. The second thing I'll say that's encouraging is that he didn't let Peter get in the way of what saved all of us. The conversation didn't last long, ladies and gentlemen, because Jesus was dead set on saving every single person in the sanctuary. But I want you to point you to a passage. Remember I said hang on to verse 17 just for a little bit? What was he called? A rock. What is he called now? A block. He went from a rock to a stumbling block. All because of what? He forgot his place. He forgot the truth. And he forgot the will of God. So ladies and gentlemen, some of us have went from where God wants to build upon 
to now where God is stepping over. All because we forgot our place. We forgot the truth. And we forgot his will. Oh, don't forget those things. Because some of us have gotten out of our place. If Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he tells God, what does he tell him? Let this cup, what? Pass from me. We always love that part, but what does he say next? But not my will, but thy will be done. So how do you not become a stumbling block? You can tell God the desires of your heart. That's not the problem. But when your desires and your will and your interests take precedent over his, you are now the stumbling block. But when you're willing to say, God, I really would love not to be single no more. But not my will, but thy will be done. You got it right. But the moment you say then, hey, God, if you're not going to do it in my timing, I'm going to go my way and do my will. That's your stumbling block. Here's the cool, crazy thing about stumbling block. Last thing I'll say is a stumbling block. Not only do you trip over it's not about you tripping over your stumbling block. It's that we make other people fall. Hear me. Sometimes the church is the reason why people don't go to church. But it's not the church building. It's the people in it. So the attitude that we take to work is the reason why people won't go to church in the first place. Because you're the same person reading your Bible on your lunch break. You're the same person telling the next coworker that I'll pray for you. My church will pray for you. I'll put you on my prayer list while you cuss the other person out. you the stumbling block. Other people trip over your stumbling block. The Bible tells us that we don't want to be a stumbling block for somebody else. What else can that happen? If you move in furniture when you and your wife get in an argument, guess who the stumbling block is now? And then you wonder why your son or your daughter is violent or receiving violence. Because you show the anger. You show what it looks like when a man doesn't control his anger. Don't be mad at the results. Just know you were the block. I'm talking about I don't know why my kid cusses so much. All right, let me move on. It got real, real quiet. That's them uncomfortable laughs. <laughs> because then he closes with this. He says, Peter, this, this is a reason why you're a stumbling block. You took your interest. That means you took your side. Hang on. He, you, you set your mind. Pay attention to those words. That your ways were more important than mine. He says, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Here's the crazy thing about God, and I'll finish with this, is that God is eternal. You want, he wanted the temporary reward, didn't he? What did he want? What did he believe? That he was going to rule with God, Jesus, on earth. That God, Jesus, was going to create a messianic kingdom on earth. That Jesus was going to be able to rule when he walked into Jerusalem. Let me give you historical context. Have you noticed nobody argued with him when he said, hey, go get the mule and then make sure it's not ridden. Make sure they put, what, the leaves on the ground and they got the Palm Sunday where he walked. Everybody was excited about Palm Sunday. But Peter, when he still didn't get the point, because after Palm Sunday, what happened to Jesus? He suffered on the cross. Where was Peter? cussing people out. My point to you is that he still didn't get the message, even though Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan, even though he said, I got to die. That's how much Peter was stubborn not to receive the message that he enjoyed Palm Sunday because he thought Palm Sunday was a day in which Jesus walked into Jerusalem and ruled. 
because he wanted the temporary reward. He didn't care about the eternal. Here's the beauty of God is that some of us are chasing temporary and asking God to chase it with us. All we keep praying for is no longer be single, make sure we get car, savings account, money, and the job I want. And God's like, that's all temporary. And God's like, I have an eternal purpose for you. When will you seek it? What is your purpose outside of yourself? That's your interest. That's not mine. My interest is so that when your kids grow up, they see a godly man and woman. My interest is that the legacy you leave is that they see who God loves, not how much money you made while you were on earth. He doesn't care about where you lived. He doesn't care about your zip code inside the city, outside the city. He doesn't care about none of that. What he cares about is do your kids know how to act according to me? What he cares about is do you love your wife as I love the church? What he cares about is do you go to your school and are you a missionary where you're at? Do you go to your job and do people know about Jesus because of where you're at? Are you a light? Are you a city on a hill? I care about the eternal. You're too tripping on the temporary. So I guess what I'm trying to get at and I'm hopefully hinting at is that Many of us become stumbling blocks because we're temporary stumbling. We want the quick reward. So Peter wanted him to become the Messiah on earth. And Jesus is like, you're missing the eternal blessing because I'm going to be the Messiah for eternity. And the same church that I'm putting you over, you won't have access to me if I don't create the access. So therefore, you need me to do what you're opposing right now. So there I look forward to this audience at Living Word Fellowship Church on June 11th, and I ask, July 11th, and I ask, what are you asking God to do that's not his? What temporary thing has locked you up that you no longer see the eternal purposes for your life? What, what stumbling blocks have you laid down for God's purposes to be fulfilled in your life? Because if all it is is temporary, then what are we really doing? That means you will be satisfied in a day's time. You know why I know temporary doesn't work? Because everybody's still trying to get more. You'll never be satisfied when you get the new car. You're going to want a new car. You finally get the house you wanted, you're going to want another house. You finally get the girlfriend you wanted, you're going to want another one. I can't say wife or husband. Just keep that together. <laughs> you finally get the grades you want, the college you want, the diplomas you want. All to realize all that temporary stuff is not as eternal purpose for your life. It's how you use the temporary for the eternal. Please hear that. How do you use your temporary rock not to become a stumbling block? So God's interest is the only thing that matters today. I don't garden well, but I do garden with my wife. Everything you see on Facebook that she posts is a 50-50 project. She just brags on me. We all know it ain't the truth. I'll be honest with you. She'd be like, we did this together. And she really means we because I couldn't have done it without her. All the things you see. Especially gardening. I hate gardening with a passion. She does it for a hobby. That's weird. It's Houston, baby. It's hot. Is she out there? There's one thing she knows I can do well. She knows I can dig holes. Digging holes shows my back muscles well. You got to turn your back a little bit, make sure she see you flex. Triceps down. Got to push it down. You got to dig down. Then you what? You lift so gently. I'm still working on the front, but the back's all right. It's the Canning's gene. 
But on top of that, before you go to the nursery, before you even dig a hole, you go to the nursery where they have these trees and plants and all this other mess. And I do mean mess. And it says, needs a lot of light, needs water, needs a lot of water, needs a little bit of water, loves the shade. Man, I, you ain't no pet, but that's not, not the point. But if you put it in the wrong spot, it'll, it'll die. If you put it with too much sun, it's going to die. If you put it with too much water, it's going to die. If you put it in a place it doesn't belong, it's going to die because you got to read the instructions before you put it in this place. Uh-oh. Before you dig a hole, you're better off reading the instructions. So when you put the plant in its proper place, it lives. But some of us are too busy digging holes where we want the tree to be. We're more worried about where we see that and how it's going to look temporarily. And God's like, I want that tree to last for a thousand years. But if you want it to last, I need you to follow my word. You need to figure out where I want it in your life. So if you know where I want it, I want it in your singleness. I wanted it when you were dating. I wanted it when you were at your job. I wanted it when you were in high school and in college. I'm trying to put you in your proper place so you can be a light on everybody that comes in contact with you. But you forgot your purpose, ladies and gentlemen. You forgot the instructions. So stop digging holes all over your life and wondering why the tree keep dying. And start putting the tree in its proper place. And when I say tree, I don't mean gardening. Put Jesus, the center of your back, in the center of your life. Because that's exactly where he belongs. 